0: I think this is an often overlooked Christmas passage, and we're going to look at it today and hopefully, uh, hopefully you will appreciate the message in these first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. It's on page 681 of your church Bibles, and it's also up on the, the screen as well. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matthan, Matthan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ." Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Matthew 1, 1 through 17. It's the word of the Lord. Well, you can tell that Matthew was a tax collector. I mean, I can't think of a journalist or a novelist who would ever begin a book this way. (laughs) Can you? I mean, is this not why we tell people who are seeking information about Christ to read the Gospel of John first? (laughs) You know. Because I mean, anybody knows that the very first paragraph, the very first sentence, you know, it really needs to kind of be the most important thought. It needs to kind of, kind of, grab your attention. You don't start a book of nearly unpronounceable names. And by the way, the trick to pronouncing all of these names is to act like you know how they are pronounced, whether you're pronouncing them correctly or not. You just fake it till you make it, baby. That's how it's done. And... Uh, I mean, who are these people? There's Hezron, there's Nashon, there's Salmon, Josiah, Jeconiah, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, what we do to our children. <laughs> Abiod, Eliud, Eliakim, Akim. I mean, why does Matthew begin the biography of the life of Christ with this list of names? Why? Well, I mean, he tells us in the first verse that this is a genealogy. This is, this is an abridged genealogy. Now, Literally, literally, verse 1, a book of the genesis of Jesus. Jesus Christ. And immediately the reader's attention would, would go to that first Genesis from the Hebrew Bible, but this is this is the second Genesis. This is this is the account of second creation. See, restored creation. The book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is, and, and Matthew begins. Matthew begins this biography with the phrase a book of the genesis indicating that what he is about to tell the reader is history it's grounded in history it's not fiction if it were fiction he would begin with some sort of greek version of once upon a time but he doesn't he doesn't he's grounding he's alerting the reader that that this is history it's a lineage A genealogy, and everybody knows that a genealogy, you know, is a family tree, a family heritage. It's a lot like a cedar chest. And you open this cedar chest, and there are portraits of the past. And, you know, you can learn a lot about people by looking at their family, can't you? When I do premarital counseling for couples before they marry, I I have them complete an inventory, and there are... um, Many questions on the inventory that I give them that are family of origin questions because when you're in a particular family system for about 20 years, you have a system kind of impressed upon the way you see life and the way you do life. And, And in many ways, your family of origin is like a lens through which you see the world, good, bad, and ugly, shapes the way you see life. But in Jesus' day, your family lineage and your family heritage was important and significant, and not just for premarital counseling. A first-century genealogy meant something, and so Matthew is alerting the reader, and and, and the reader would know from a human perspective, and there were several reasons why Matthew would include this lineage uh, from a commercial perspective. Commercially speaking, one's lineage was very important in the first century for the purpose of conducting business and buying, selling property. It was kind of like title insurance. Then there were political purposes. Politically speaking, the Roman census identified people by their lineage, which is why Mary and Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem, their hometown, the town of their ancestors. You can read about that in Luke chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. So there's commercial reasons, political reasons, royally, Jesus' lineage confirms that he is a descendant of David, and then then because it was an oral culture back then, at least one of the reasons why there would be three sets of 14 names would be for the sake of memory. So, So those are some reasons from a human perspective why this list exists. And Matthew wants us to see beyond just the human perspective. Matthew wants the reader, Matthew wants us to see that that God has a perspective. God has reasons as to why this biography over the life of Jesus Christ begins in this way. And that's what I want us to see as we unfold the names. There's a a story, there's a journey here. And as we journey through these names, we're going to see we're going to see first God's amazing grace, His mercy, His kindness, His amazing grace, and then as we continue on through this journey, we're going to see that God has an unfailing plan. God has a will, and it will not be detoured. His amazing grace, His unfailing plan, and that plan culminates in the appearance of His eternal Son. His eternal Son. God's amazing grace, God's unfailing plan, God's eternal son that's where we're going here well well Matthew begins this genealogy of Jesus with some very important names in verse 2 you can see them there Abraham Isaac Jacob my goodness that's a pretty impressive start don't you think I mean three Old Testament heavyweights heroes of the faith and if you've studied their lives you will know that each had skeletons in their closets right all three of them had trouble with truth-telling. Uh, I mean, Jacob's name. Deceiver. Deceiver. That says it. And then verse 3 says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Now, did, you, did you get that there? Stop just a minute. Jacob's son, Judah, was the father of twins. Perez and Zerah. All right. Judah's the father of Perez and Zerah. But then verse 3 says the mother was Tamar. Okay? So Judah's the father. Tamar is the mother. But Tamar was not Judah's wife. Tamar was his daughter-in-law. Why they don't make more television programs from the Old Testament, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, there is a story there, don't you think? There's a reality TV that's, I mean, waiting to be filmed right there. And you can read about that soap opera in Genesis chapter 38. If things get slow in the next 10 minutes, (laughs) just flip over to Genesis 38. And whoo! Anyway, I see a bunch of red faces here. (laughs) I'll talk faster. Anyway. Oh, my. But it's there. Verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. She was a prostitute. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth was from the country of Moab. So she was a Moabite. And the entire Moabite race was the result of an immoral and incestuous relationship. Do I see a pattern here? Between an Old Testament man named Lot and his daughters. And and then, now we get to verse 6. Finally, the great royal king, David. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, why did Matthew have to mention that? Why didn't he talk about Goliath and shaving off his head and all that stuff? But no, didn't have to mention that, did he? But he did. He did. Whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You know Uriah's wife, don't you? Bathsheba who had an affair with David, or rather, David initiated the affair with her, the wife of one of his most loyal officers. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. So, see, Bathsheba's name is not mentioned, not because of Bathsheba, but as much as a slam to David, who had Uriah one of his most loyal officers well it's just the same old story man sees woman man sleeps with woman woman gets pregnant man murders the husband of woman <laughs> i mean these are just the first six verses of Matthew <laughs> yeah you know that's why we tell him to read John <laughs> I mean, you could say that a very close look at this genealogy would reveal that there are knots on Jesus' family tree. And the the cedar chest of Christ was was stocked with black and white photos of liars, cheaters, adulterers, murderers, the kind of people you'd really rather not have a family reunion with. And what we need to understand here is that, see, genealogies... When Americans think of genealogies, or when this American thinks about genealogies, it's like, okay, it's a hobby. All right? It's a hobby. No, not back then. Genealogies weren't hobbies to these folks. Genealogies were like resumes. It's how you presented yourself to the world. Now, how many people would put intentionally bad references on their resume? But that's that's what we've got going on here. But there's a message. And the, the message is about God's amazing grace. Christ chose, he deliberately chose to identify himself and his family with those whom he would one day save. With, he identified himself with those who otherwise would have been excluded from the presence of the Lord in temple worship. I mean... jesus says they're mine these are my kin you know during the holidays you know, we we see our families or they come and visit us and we introduce them to our friends or coworkers, and then our families will say something in front of our friends or co-workers or our boss or you know and and, and we hear them talk and then we just cringe right? Right? We, win, we wince at our family's idiosyncrasies or the things they ask or their mannerisms. And of course, we're never a source of embarrassment to our family in front of their friends. Of course not. But why do we wince? I mean, isn't it because we're afraid of what our friends might think? We worry that their hickness will affect our standing. But there's none of that with Christ None of that with Jesus. Jesus never cringes when he's with you, ever, ever. The only cringing Christ did was when the Roman spikes pierced his hands. I know this because Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 says, Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed. To call them brothers and for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to god and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted god's amazing grace that's that's what we're seeing here in this lineage, in this book of second creation, God's amazing grace. Well, verses 7 through 11 continue this journey, and, and these verses are a list of kings who ruled Judea. That's who these are. and And if you did a little study through the kings and chronicles and the, the history of The kings of judah here would be the list of kings and this would be the kind of king that according to the hebrew bible this king was and so you've got you've got you know good bad bad good good bad good good next slide bad good bad bad good bad i mean it's really morally spiritually ethically i mean these kings show that the people of god were led like yo-yos they were led by yo-yos up and down, good and bad. One by one, they came and they died. And, and God's purposes prevailed. Because His purposes always prevail. Always. There's, you know, there's been enough that's been going on in our country and in our world to make you wonder. I mean, what... You know, are we going somewhere? Is there a destination? Is there an engineer running the train? Where are we going? Are we going? Who's at the helm? And this lineage says, yes. This is a human race, not a human free-for-all. Things are not as they appear This lineage shows that God has a plan and his plan does not fail. And case by case and person by person and generation by generation beginning with Abraham. we, We see people, we see people whose lives they would be more comfortable in a bar than in a Bible study. And One by one, generation by generation. And then we get to verse 16. I mean it's as if God is saying, Good king, bad king, I, you know what? I still have my plan. And my plan is going to prevail, and it is unstoppable. Verse 16 says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ, and that word Christ literally means anointed one, anointed one. And, and uh, my mind goes to Psalm chapter 2. Where the psalmist says, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his Christ, against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. And what does God do? Verse four, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. Let's laugh. The Lord scoffs at them. And then he rebukes them in his anger. Terrifies them in his wrath. Saying, I have installed my king
1: on Zion,
0: my holy hill. And I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. You see what's happening here? God's will is unbreakable. And the economy won't affect it. Whoever the superpower is, and they come and they go, church. They come and they go. A political party won't affect it. It has weathered itself three sets of 14 generations. God's plan is durable. And the Bible clearly says that God himself is sovereign over every government. Those of you who've been studying through Daniel... Do you not remember Daniel 4, 17, the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and he gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. We think we have a plan that we're going to just, we're going to present and we're going to get ready and take our stand against God and we're going to do this and then we get all, we get everything all ready and you know what happens in heaven? There's giggling. Because the Most High reigns over the kingdoms of men. And he gives them to whoever he wants. You know what? God never bites his nails. Ever. He has a plan. And his plan is his son. God's amazing grace journeying through his unfailing plan culminating to his eternal son. the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, did you notice something different about verse 16? or something different about verse 16 than the other verses. Do you see that there? One by one, the others had something in common, right? This man fathered this son, that man fathered that son, but that's not what verse 16 says, is it? Matthew intentionally wrote that While Jesus was born of a woman, he was not fathered by a man. And Matthew prepares the reader for for Jesus' supernatural birth, which, which we see in verses 20 and 21. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus Because he will save his people from their sins. You see, that's what Jesus means. The Lord saves. Or the Lord delivers like a lifeguard. Jesus entered the waters of humanity to rescue us from sin. I like how one preacher put it 1,500 years ago. Man's maker was made man. That he Ruler of the stars might nurse at his mother's breast that the bread might be hungry, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired from the journey that the truth might be accused by false witnesses, that the judge of the living and the dead be judged by a mortal judge, that justice be sentenced by the unjust, that the teacher be beaten with whips, that the vine be crowned with thorns, that the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might be weak, and that he who makes well might be wounded, and that life might die. Jesus who has come to save his people from their sins. You see, when you look at this list, church family, what you see is, I mean, you've got you've got pictures of past relatives here, sordid, foul, Cretan-like, right? I mean, have we not been, what is our memory verse from the book of Titus? Cretans are always, remember, always liars, evil brutes. Let's say that together. Here we go. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Well, the Cretans don't have anything (laughs) on the Hebrews or the Moabites or the Ammonites or the Champaignites or the Urbanites. You see, it's a global issue. It's a global problem, this sin thing. And when you look into Christ's lineage, his resume, you see all types of Cretan like people. And you see someone who's not ashamed to say, It's my family. He's talking about us too. And you look at someone. You look at someone who identified with us and you, you open up that cedar chest and you also see Roman spikes. And you open up that cedar chest and you also see a crown of thorns. And you see love crucified. When you open up the, you open up the cedar chest, that's what you see. But you know what you won't see? You know what you won't see when you open up that cedar chest? You will not see A body. There's no corpse in that cedar chest, no. For there is one who entered history who was and is above history, one whose very name means deliverance. And this list list prepares us for the rest of the, this is the list that you want to read that that will get you curious to keep reading through Matthew. And that's why Matthew wrote this. This this history of God's amazing grace as God was taking a journey to bring about his unfailing plan to bring his people home through his eternal son. And that's the point. God wants you home for Christmas this year through his son. That's the point. And God's been working to bring Jesus to us so that through Jesus we might meet God. This Christmas, God wants you home. you know what? God knew that this Sunday was going to turn out the way it turned out. He knew that. We didn't until yesterday at about 1, but that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. You may be here today wondering, is there a God? Does he have a plan? This list says, yes, there is he has a plan and it's brought about by his grace culminating in his son involving you involving you this christmas god wants you home and jesus is the way home years ago in uh, sydney australia there was this tragic rail accident. It was known as the Granville Rail Disaster. Passenger train derailed, lives were lost, and during this emergency rescue um, during the night, a worker called out to anyone who would be mushroomed underneath that metal mess. And to the worker's surprise, someone beneath the train uh, yelled out. They had been pinned below one of the overturned cars, and this person who yelled out was an elderly man, and, and he by that time, he was whispering in a very hoarse voice. He says, don't worry about me. I'm too old. I've lived long enough. I won't make it. I'm going to die, but help someone else who has the chance to live. But the worker would not leave. And the worker was overwhelmed with the hopelessness of the situation. He just finally asked the man, is there anything, that, is there anything I can do to, for you? I mean, that guy was going to die, but he was right there with him. Is there anything I can do for you? And this is what the elderly man said. He said, would you please reach under and touch me? And these verses here in Matthew say that God reached into the world and he touched us so that none would perish. Young, old, male, female, rich, poor, royalty, prostitute. We're all here. There's only one communion table. And, and someone as royal as David gets to sit right next to Rahab, the prostitute. We're all here. All because of God's amazing grace carried out through his unfailing plan, culminating in his eternal son to bring us home so that our sins might be forgiven. You want to you come home for Christmas this year? Huh? Well, this year God wants to bring you home. So why don't you come?